on this episode of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. Definitely was surreal at first. I remember driving in for a rehearsal before we officially opened the show. And I uh, didn't know at that point that they had already put the billboard up. And I drove up and saw it. And for a moment, I, I did a double take. I was like, wait a minute, is this real? Because it really it was such a dream of mine, as I mentioned, to, to be able to do, do a show like this. In Spanish, its name means the Meadows. You might know it as the entertainment capital of the world, lost wages, or simply Sin City. Of course, I'm talking about fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. On average, 42 million people visit Las Vegas every year, and I'm one of them. I love this city. The sights, the sounds, the shows, the people, the history. I want to share all of it with you. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 80 of the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Before we get into this episode of the show, I have a few bits of housekeeping I want to take care of. First off, I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to the various best of episodes that were released over the 2020 holiday season. It was so much fun taking a little trek down memory lane and resharing some of my favorite conversations from the past year. Speaking of the past year, I want to thank all of you, the audience, as well as all the amazing guests who took the time to appear on the show over the last 12 months. Thanks to you guys, the podcast saw a huge jump in downloads and listenership over 2019. In spite of being a travel podcast in a year when hardly anyone was traveling about a city that was literally closed for several months. Finally, a big thanks to my guest from the last regular episode of the podcast, Dr. Rachel Hers, a cognitive neuroscientist who's an expert on the psychological science of smell. We had a great conversation about how Vegas casinos use signature scents to influence guest behavior. If you haven't checked it out yet, jump into the archives wherever you get your podcasts and search out episode number 79, The Science of Scent, or head to the website at jeffdoesvegas.com. All right, here we go. On to the show. My guest for this episode of the podcast is magician and Vegas headliner Jen Kramer. Jen opened her show, The Magic of Jen Kramer, at the Westgate Las Vegas in May of 2018. And since then, she's been performing her own brand of magic, mentalism, and comedy upwards of four nights a week. Jen was kind enough to join me on the show to talk about when she became interested in magic, her time attending Yale and founding the Yale Magic Society, and her journey to Las Vegas and how she ended up with a headlining show on the Vegas Strip. We also chatted about how she kept busy during the COVID shutdown and how she plans on moving her show forward in light of restrictions and regulations in place. Please enjoy my conversation with Jen Kramer. So when I was 10 years old, my uncle Steve gave me a book for my 10th birthday, and this book was called The Royal Road to Card Magic, which uh, has a special place in my heart to this day, and that's what really piqued my interest. I used to spend hours, days, months just going through card magic books, and then I expanded to different areas of magic and joined a young magician's group and went to magic camp and just looked for opportunities to perform anywhere and everywhere I could, and that's really how I got started. 
And before you got this book from your uncle, was magic even something on your radar at all? Was it something you were interested in or was it just like, here's one of these random gifts from a relative that you're like, you know what? Yeah, I'll give that a try. It really is amazing to think back on how that one gift changed my life so much. I mean, it really changed my trajectory. But I think, you know, my uncle who had been performing magic for many years, not as a full-time professional, but as a hobbyist, as someone who really just loved magic and magic enthusiast, uh, I think I had seen him perform magic just at family gatherings and he must have noticed that I took an interest in it. And I think that's what prompted the birthday gift that really did change my life. <laughs> and And growing up, doing magic as a kid, did you have any particular um, magician idols, inspirations, people that you you really watched, anybody that you really wanted to model yourself after? So many, so many. I'm thinking back to the magicians I would watch on television as a kid. Of course, David Copperfield, Penn and Teller, David Blaine. Uh, there are so many incredible magicians. And then there is a couple, a, a magician and mime couple named Tom and Janet Verner, who started an organization called Magicians Without Borders. And I first met them when I was 12 years old, and we've been friends ever since and had the opportunity to work together. And basically what they do through their organization, uh, which I now serve on the advisory board of, and it's, it's something really close to my heart, but they travel around the world, uh, going to places where people are facing some really, really tough situations, and they spread hope and happiness through magic. And they really just use their magic for good. You know, they partnered with the UN to raise awareness about HIV and AIDS. They've you know, done all kinds of really amazing things through performance. So they were real role models to me growing up as well. Skipping forward a little bit here to your time in Vegas now, and you mentioned people like Penn and Teller and people like David Copperfield. How mind-blowing is it for you to now be living in the city, working in the city, having your face up on billboards around Las Vegas with people like Penn and Teller and David Copperfield, who are also headliners in Las Vegas? It's such a dream come true. Uh, really, it had been my dream for such a long time to have a Las Vegas residency and to have the chance to share my magic and do my show. And uh, now I do the show at Westgate, currently on pause due to COVID, but I can't wait to be back. And it's uh, something I'm just just really grateful for. And uh, I feel so fortunate just to have the opportunity to do something that I love so much and that I really care about. And you had a chance to perform for Penn & Teller as well. You've been on Fool Us, which is so cool. Oh, thank you so much. I had so much fun doing that. I have to say, I mean, Penn and Teller, like I mentioned, they were role models to me ever since I first got started in magic. And just having the chance to perform for them was uh, very exciting, a little nerve wracking, but in a good way. And uh, getting the chance to be on their show, even at the beginning of the pandemic, they did a new TV special called Penn and Teller Try This at Home and then Try This at Home Too. And the concept there was that different magicians would share with the at-home audience how to do some simple magic tricks with everyday objects that you could do to amaze your family while everybody's stuck at home. So I taught a trick on that TV special, uh, and it involved peanut butter, jelly, and pickles. So if uh, any listeners happen to have uh, jars of peanut butter and jelly lying around and you want to wow your friends and family, you can find that up on YouTube. But just getting a chance to work with Penn & Teller and their team through the years has been something that I've so appreciated. That's awesome. Um, was magic 
something, I mean, going to university or going to college, you, you went to school at Yale, which I mean, is very, very cool. It's one of those magical places that, I mean, for someone like myself in Canada, you hear about Yale and it's like, it must be like Hogwarts with all of the, it must be very storied history. I don't know why I turned British there all of a sudden, um, very storied history and, and castles and, and Ivy and all that kind of stuff. When you went to school at Yale, was magic and performing in the arts something that was was on your mind when you were going there? Or so many other entertainers that I talk to, when they go to college, they're like, well, I'm going to go get a such and such degree. And, you know, this entertainment thing might work out for me. So I loved magic. I knew that I really wanted to pursue magic full time, but... I think the college years for me were about figuring out how to do that, how to go about taking this thing that I care so much about and turning it into a full-time profession, making it a reality in in the practical sense of of that, working out the details, figuring out how do you support yourself as a magician and what routes can you take? Because I think for for some other professions, there's a bit more of a path laid out. You know, you know, if you want to become a lawyer, you go to law school, you want to become a doctor, you go to medical school, if you, you know, various professions, you sort of know, okay, this is the path I'm going to take. And I think as a performer, part of the excitement of it, but also part of the uh, kind of challenge of what needs to be worked out is how do you do it? How do you chart your own course and figure out, okay, this is going to be my path. So the college years for me were really about figuring out how do I make this a reality, my dream of, of being a magician full-time. And something else that you did at Yale, which I thought was was really cool, was um, you helped to bring together uh, aspiring young magicians attending Yale by helping to uh, found the Yale Magic Society. Oh, thank you so much. It was fun. You know, I remember when I first showed up on campus, I had the same thoughts that you did, Jeff, about the Gothic architecture. It reminded me so much of Hogwarts from Harry Potter, and it really had a magical vibe. And uh, community has been such an important part of my life in magic ever since I first got started in magic, and I was part of a young magicians group called the Society of Young Magicians that met in New York. And that was a huge, really formative part of my life growing up in magic. And so community has been so important to me. And I really wanted to have that in college. And I fully expected initially that Yale would already have a magic society. It, it already has a, such a magical atmosphere like we were talking about, but uh, it didn't at the time. So I found some other magicians floating around campus and started the group. And I'm uh, so happy to say that the group is still going strong to this day. And I love keeping in touch with them and finding out what they're up to. We even had a chance to do a joint trip between the Yale Magic Society and Magicians Without Borders, the uh, organization I mentioned earlier, a few years ago, where we traveled to India. We went to Mumbai and to rural Gujarat performing magic together and just getting a chance to connect these two groups that I love so much. The Yale Magic Society Magicians Without Borders was uh, just a really wonderful experience. And being that you are now a, a professional magician who is uh, headlining on the Las Vegas Strip and that you are still quite heavily involved with the society, um, I assume that you uh, get reached out to often by students and members of the society who have uh, questions for you to find out how they can follow the same career path as you. Sure, sure. And uh, and I love, you know, I love hearing about what they're up to and what each of their paths is, because 
yeah, in, in magic, there are just so many ways to be a magician and there are so many paths that you can follow. You know, you can go into the corporate market, you can do college shows, you can be in Las Vegas, which to me has always been the magic mecca, but there are also lots of other vibrant places where you can do magic. So it's exciting to me to see how they all grow as magicians and the paths that they each decide to take with their magic. I want to talk about the path that you took to uh, get to Las Vegas. Um, you did something that a lot of people will do when it uh, it comes to their chosen career. I did this myself as uh, working in the world of radio. You interned. And I know that as a, a intern, um, it gives you the opportunity to learn a lot of different aspects of of whatever business you're you're trying to get into you're literally doing everything from getting coffee to getting dry cleaning to i don't know photocopying stuff whatever um but you did it with uh, a, a magic legend uh nathan burton who has been performing in las vegas for for several years um working with someone like nathan burton what did that experience teach you? What was that experience like? It was a great experience. It just taught me all about the Vegas showbiz world because Jeff, like like you, I know how much you love Vegas and I feel that same way about Vegas. It really is a special place. It's a magical city. And I think that experience interning for Nathan taught me so much about all of show business, the show side, the business side, and also the reality of what it was like to be in Las Vegas because that was what really made me sure this is where I wanted to launch a full-time career. At that point, most of my contacts, the people I knew were in New York and on the East Coast where I'd spent all of my life. And so moving out to the West Coast, I didn't really know many people. I hadn't really been to Las Vegas prior to interning with Nathan, except for a few days here or there for a magic convention. So being able to spend a summer there and really get a feel for what it would be like to live and to work in Las Vegas and get a sense for what the showbiz scene was like was so invaluable and, and getting to... Uh, learn just about what it's actually like to put on a Las Vegas show. Uh, like you said, as an intern, you, you do whatever it is you can do to be helpful, whether it's uh, helping to set props backstage or fielding media requests or getting coffee, whatever it might be. I think it really just helped me see just how many details go into making a Las Vegas show happen. Was it eye-opening for you interning with Nathan and seeing the business side of Vegas show business. And I ask this because this is something that I have found uh, to be incredibly fascinating over the, the last couple of years, opportunity to talk to various Vegas performers. And, and I don't think people realize the amount of work that goes into running a show. I mean, there's, there's so much more to it than just the 45 minutes or one hour or 90 minutes that you guys are are on stage as you say there's all the, the the there's the business side of it and and to me again i just i find that incredibly fascinating absolutely i feel the same way absolutely i think uh you know in the business they'll call it getting butts in seats and i think it's it's really an important part of it because you can work so hard on the art and the craft and on creating something that you're really excited to share with the audience. But the other side of the equation is you need an audience to share that with. And all of the details that go into promoting the show and, and making the show happen and getting people to the show, I think are such an important part of, uh, of the story for sure. So how did you land the gig at the Westgate? I mean, you you bounced around Las Vegas a little bit. You jumped around doing a few shows here and there. But the thing that I've admired about 
all of you guys in Vegas, and, and again, I've found this with all the different entertainers that I've talked to, is the hustle. You guys never stop hustling. You're always trying to find your way in wherever. And that's exactly what you did when you got to Vegas and you started performing. Uh, the story began uh, when I was a junior and senior in college. So I'm at Yale, I'm in New Haven, Connecticut, and I start reaching out to some properties in Las Vegas because like I was saying, Vegas is really such a magic capital of the world. And uh, and and I, I just knew that there was something about Vegas that really drew me to it. And uh, I thought if, if if what I really want is a Las Vegas residency, and, and I knew that was the goal, I thought Las Vegas is just the place to make that happen. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's such a, such an incredible place for magic and for magicians. And there are so many creative people working on interesting projects. So I started reaching out when I was still in college from New Haven, cold calls, cold emails. Uh, and my thought at the time was that, I fully expected that most of the properties and, and people who I reached out to would say no. I figured they, they didn't know me personally. It wasn't anything to take personally, but most of them, sure enough, would say, you know, we've never done anything like this before. You know, when I pitched my idea of doing a show or, or they would say, we don't have the room or we don't have the budget. And my thought was, that's okay. If I just get one, yes, it's a win. So I flew out to Las Vegas during the spring break of my senior year. And as I was calling and, and emailing and sending my promotional materials, my real goal was just to be able to sit down in a room with the decision maker, whether it was the manager or the activities manager at, at a particular property, because I figured my best chance was being able to establish a personal connection and just you know sit with them and explain my, my idea. And sure enough, I was able to... Uh, secure a meeting with somebody from uh, a property that was slightly off the strip. And I shared the idea and they were willing to give it a shot. And as I mentioned, most of the places I reached out to said no. So this is after a lot of no's. Uh, I got one yes and I was very excited. So I knew I had one weekly show uh, that was on Wednesday nights when I would move to Las Vegas and I moved out after graduating. And then once that show was running and was going well for about a month, I had been in discussions with a couple of other properties, and when they saw that we had a working model and that it was going well, they were open to giving it a shot as well. So my first show is at the Wyndham Grand Desert Resort, uh, and then about a month later, I opened a second show. So each of these were weekly shows, and the second show is at Marriott's Grand Chateau, and then about a month or so after that, opened a show at the Cancun Resort. So I was doing these three weekly shows and ended up doing these weekly shows for the next several years until uh, a friend had connected me with the team at Westgate. And I think doing those weekly shows gave me the opportunity to really build up the magic content and really get that flight time, as Lance Burton would call it, that time performing in front of real people and experiencing all the unexpected things that can happen in showbiz and knowing how I would handle each situation and being able to really refine that material. Those shows were like a laboratory where I could just experiment and try all kinds of new things and really develop the show. And uh, then when the, when the opportunity at Westgate came along, I felt ready. I felt prepared at that point because I had done all of those shows. And I had also at the time been doing corporate shows and college shows and traveling all around. So I was just so excited uh, when, when the Westgate opportunity became a possibility to be able to launch my show there for four nights a week. The first time you see your your face up on that marquee and you step out on that stage and you're like, this is my show. Is there that moment of, oh, 
shit, like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, was there that moment or was it just like, okay, I'm, I'm going to hit the ground running. I'm just going to do this. I was so excited. You know, it definitely was surreal at first. I remember driving in for a rehearsal before we officially opened the show. So we opened the show in May of 2018 and I was driving in for a rehearsal and I uh, didn't know at that point that they had already put the billboard up and I drove up and saw it. And for a moment, I, I did a double take. I was like, wait a minute, is this real? Uh, because it really, it was such a dream of mine, as I mentioned, to, to be able to do do a show like this. And, and the Westgate's such a special place, too. I love the people I work with. Uh, it really has such a family feeling over there. Uh, there's a real warmth in the air. And there's also so much history on property. Uh, you know, it was where Elvis performed hundreds of shows. It was just something I, I feel super honored and, uh, and just grateful to be there. I was just going to say, I mean, it must be amazing to think, I mean, we talked about working in the city with Penn and Teller and David Copperfield and people that you you grew up watching. And now you're at this legendary property that, I mean, has all this history as the international, as you say, with Elvis and, and as the Hilton. And, and now you're like, you're a part of that folklore. You're a part of that history. How cool is that? Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's uh, It really is a special place and a special property. And uh, as I mentioned, the people really make it what it is. The people, the history, uh, you just feel it when you're there. You feel what a special place it is. And uh, you know, I, again, just feel so fortunate to have the chance to do my show there. That's so awesome. Um, something that I've learned in spending a lot of time in Las Vegas and getting to know a lot of performers and, and hanging out and being fortunate enough to be kind of welcomed into their their circles is you guys are all so charitable. You do so much charity work and so much of your your own time spent working on other other things and helping other people. You mentioned Magicians Without Borders, which again is such a cool concept and such a a, a cool idea. Are there any other charities that you get involved with in in around the Las Vegas area? Absolutely. So it's always been super important uh, to me to use magic for good and to be able to, uh, to to do charitable work with magic. And as I mentioned, Magicians Without Borders, I love. Uh, there's also an organization called Win Win Entertainment, and it was founded by a fellow Vegas entertainer, Jeff Savilico. And the idea is that for the last few years, I've, I've been involved with them and they are the liaison between Vegas performers and charitable organizations and, and uh, children's hospitals in Las Vegas. So they would enable performers to go to local children's hospitals and perform magic there for the pediatric patients, uh, which was so incredibly rewarding. And then when COVID hit, uh, I have to give Win-Win such credit because they really pivoted beautifully to virtual visits. And so during the pandemic, I've had the opportunity to continue working with Win-Win Entertainment and visiting children's hospitals virtually. Uh, and what's pretty cool about that is that you know, I've been able to visit hospitals not only in Las Vegas, but everywhere from Orlando, Charleston, Minneapolis, uh, you know, all around the country. They partner with hospitals and, and we can do magic through Zoom or through video chat with uh with these children's hospitals and, and with the patients. And uh, it's just been such, uh, such a rewarding, rewarding part of my life. And uh, I have to say win-win entertainment is, uh, is, is an amazing group. So if any of your listeners are performers who want to get involved, I'd say definitely check it out. I've had a terrific experience working with them. 
Something else that I wanted to to touch on here in our conversation is um, magic is such a, a male-dominated field of entertainment. Um, is there any particular issues or challenges that you've run into as a, as a woman working in magic? I mean, I'm sure there's various uh, stereotypes or, or issues that you've you've come up against. Well, you're right. Magic has historically been uh, a male-dominated field for sure. Uh, that having been said, there have been some amazing women in magic through the years, and uh, I think I think some of the some of the challenges might be things like uh, some of the old school books in magic would say things like, okay, reach into your right trouser pocket and then your inner jacket coat pocket. And I'd be this 10 year old girl thinking, I don't have a trouser pocket or an inner jacket (laughs) coat pocket. Uh, But I really like to see those as opportunities to get creative and to do things differently. Uh, And I've been so fortunate to have really wonderful people in my life, really supportive people. Um, and so I'm really proud to be a woman in magic. And, you know, as, as, as far as I see it, being a woman, it's just part of who I am. And so uh, if I can incorporate that into the magic I do and share that with an audience, great. But I just, I just want to do good work. I just want to do good magic. You know what's hilarious? And I'm just going to take the listeners behind the curtain here for a second. Uh, Jen and I are chatting via Zoom so we can actually see each other. And when you reached into your jacket pocket. I don't know why, but I expected something to fly out. I don't know why. It's like, I, 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 Here's a I dove. exactly like, I know you don't just walk around with birds in your, in your sleeves. That's not a thing that happens, but I was just, I don't know why, but I was just like, you're reaching in, something's going to come out. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I want to um, chat about COVID-19 and how this whole thing has kind of affected you. I know a lot of performers have done virtual performances, um, online stuff, YouTube shows, things like that. How have you managed to keep yourself busy through this entire situation? Well, my, my show at Westgate involves so much audience participation. So when, uh, when COVID did hit, I remember thinking, okay, uh, I want to make sure that I can keep the show really engaging for when we reopen. Um, and you know, I, I see the show as something that's constantly evolving. I, I just always want to continue making the show better. So uh, during this this pandemic time, I've really thought through you know, every moment of the show, thinking, okay, how do I make this more COVID friendly and sort of safe for our new normal, um, while also keeping it engaging and exciting and uh, I think really diving deep on the creative on that has been uh, has been definitely a creative challenge in in some ways to take these routines that I've gotten so accustomed to doing a particular way where people would come up on stage or they would volunteer their objects or they would touch things. And I had to kind of think, okay, how am I going to do this in a way that will still keep the audience really excited and feeling like it's interactive and they're a part of the show, but uh, but also make it work in our new normal. And uh, what I'm happy about is that some of the changes that we've made, I think they've, I think the situation has really pushed me to make changes that ended up making the show better anyway, which is great. You know, we had some new props built and reworked several routines, and uh, I'm really happy with with the work that that uh, my team and I have been doing on that. And I just can't wait to be back at Westgate and to share that with an audience. I did want to ask uh, several of the the people that I've talked to over the course of this whole shutdown pandemic situation have said that in 
some ways they've actually welcomed the time off because it's given them an opportunity to uh, work on other projects, things that they maybe haven't had the time to be able to work on because you guys are crazy busy. You're doing four, five, six, seven shows a week often. Have you had that opportunity to develop a few new tricks or a few new show elements in the time that you've had away? It has. It has. And of course, I, I really miss being on stage. I miss having a live audience. I miss my family at Westgate and the awesome people I work with. I, I just can't wait to be back. Um, but at the same time, you're right. It really has given me an opportunity to really dive into the creative and work on new magic routines and develop new ideas and do all kinds of things that I've always wanted to do. I mean, just just uh, this past weekend, just two days ago, I took a test uh, for a remote pilot certification because I've always wanted to learn how to fly a drone and be able to incorporate that video footage into magic videos that I produce. And so I thought, what better time to learn how to, to do this and to, to take the test? So we took the test and fortunately passed the test. So I'm really excited about that. So all kinds of things like that, that I had the opportunity to do and, uh, you know, magic projects that you know, take a lot of time and energy and I'm able to, to dive in and really work on those. I can't even imagine the, the creative process that, that you go through when you're coming up with ideas for, for illusions and, and, and tricks and things like that. I mean, that, that blows my mind at, you know, I mean, do you just wake up one day and go, you know what? I want to make blah, blah, blah disappear. Like, is, is it, is it that simple or is it you, you're, I mean, obviously there's a process of, okay, I want to do this, but in order to do that, I need to do this and this and this. I mean, can you just kind of briefly take me behind the curtain on that? It's just, this is, this is really just for me at this point. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I'd say it's a fun process. And a lot of the times what I'll try to do is reverse engineer it. So I'll think to myself, what do I want the final result to be? What do I want to happen on stage? What do I want the audience to experience? Because at the end of the day, I think that's what it's really all about, right? Is that human connection is making people smile, making people laugh. I mean, that's what I, that's what I love so much about magic as a whole. That's what I love about being involved with, you know, Magicians Without Borders and Win-Win Entertainment. It's all about connecting. It's all about, you know, making people smile and, you know, especially nowadays with all the stress and all the craziness going on in people's lives, I think, uh, you know, to, to be able to give them uh, a moment where they forget about their troubles and they're able to just laugh and smile and have a great time uh, is something that is, is really meaningful and really important. So I'll think about what experience do I want the audience to have and what do I want to be happening? And then I'll think, okay, now, how do we do it? And then we'll start working on methods, right? And we'll say, okay, well, this might be a possible way of doing it, but this method has these drawbacks, but these advantages. Okay, let's compare it with this other way of doing it. Because oftentimes there are several ways of accomplishing a magic illusion. And it really just depends on so many factors. It depends on where you're performing and how many people you're performing for and what are the angles and all kinds of things. So you'll have to decide, okay, which method works best for the circumstance to depending on what that circumstance is. And uh, so, yeah, reverse engineering, it has worked well for me, but I think it often depends on the particular routine. Sometimes you'll find inspiration in other art. Sometimes you'll have an idea come to you. Sometimes it'll be a piece of music that inspires a magic idea. So uh, for me, it's been all kinds of things that I draw inspiration from to create new magic. Magic is something that that I, I love watching and and I always get a kick out of watching it. 
But at the same time, it infuriates the living bejeebus out of me because, and, and I'll just, I'll tell you a quick little story from my own experience. I, when I worked in radio, I used to have to go out and MC all these different events. And one of the shows that I emceed was a, a magic show at a casino in, in Saskatchewan in Canada. And so before the show, I'm backstage introducing myself to the, the performer and his, one of his first tricks is he's got his assistant coming out of a box. Mm-hmm. I watched her climb into the box, Jen. I watched it happen. I watched her right beside me. She climbed into the box and I'm like, I got this. She's in the box. I know she's in the box. I go out, I do my thing. Then I go sit in the audience and I watch the, the, the whole thing. I watched her come out of the box. I still didn't understand how it happened. <laughs> infuriating jen infuriating i mean just it's like i love this but i'm angry about it you gotta love magic right that's that's so funny yeah it's uh you know what i so admire i mean there there are some some really legendary magic inventors out there who have come up with some absolutely incredible ways of accomplishing things and and I mean, you just see how how clever it is, and and what an amazing illusion it it creates. And uh, yeah, I I I totally understand that because I've I've had that same very similar kinds of experiences where you know, and I and I love seeing other magicians perform and seeing how every magician puts their own twist on the magic. Uh, but that is that is very funny. That actually brings up what I think is actually kind of an interesting question: when you go and see a magic show. Do you find yourself trying to sit there and and dissect what the magician has done or or figure out what it is they're they're trying to do or or how they've accomplished it or are you able to just kind of tune out and sit there and just enjoy the show? You know, I I love just experiencing it, experiencing the wonder. That's what drew me to magic in the first place. I still love that feeling. And of course, as a magician, I think a lot of magic is based on certain foundational principles. So you might know how how much of the magic you see is done just because you kind of have that foundation in magic. But I try not to focus so much on that when I'm watching another performance because, you know, rather than being a puzzle to solve, I just want to sit back. I want to enjoy it. I want to look at all of the details that that magician put into making that happen, the choreography and the music and their patter, what they're saying and the comedy and uh, just the style of their magic and the the magic effect itself. And so I just try to experience that wonder because that really is what I love about magic. I think that's what magic is all about. Very cool. Um, I can't wait to get back down to Vegas and be able to check out your show and, and check out all of the shows in Las Vegas. Uh, but in the meantime, videos on YouTube and social media are just going to have to do. You are very active on both of those platforms. Um, If people want to find you on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, how do they go about doing that? Sure. So my website is magicofgen.com. That's magic O-F-J-E-N.com. On social media, you can find me at Jen Kramer Magic. So J-E-N-K-R-A-M-E-R Magic. That's on Instagram. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Jen Kramer Magic. Twitter, it's also at Jen Kramer Magic. YouTube, same thing, youtube.com backslash Jen Kramer Magic. And it would be great to uh, to connect with all of you, the listeners of the Just as Vegas podcast. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jen. I really, really appreciate this. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh-huh. 
Once again, if you want to learn more about Jen Kramer and check out some of her amazing illusions and mentalism, you can visit her website at magicofjen.com or give her a follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Jen Kramer Magic. You can also follow the links in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com. wraps up yet another episode of the podcast if you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter or if you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast please feel free to reach out to me via facebook twitter or instagram at jeff does vegas you can also email me directly at jeff at jeff in the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit jeffdoesvegas.com for past episodes and show notes. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 80 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. <laughs>